Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we know that in looking at leaders, some of us, when we look at ourselves, we don't think we're leaders. But Lord, we know that you have called every single follower of Jesus Christ to lead and influence their community, their family, their, their, their job, at their jobs, at their schools. So Lord, we ask that you'd allow us to, maybe for one morning, look at ourselves as leaders and see opportunities that we have to lead and lead well. So as we look at Titus and we see what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to, we would leave here realizing we have new life and we can have complete confidence in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name's John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like to welcome you here. If I say good morning, how many of you had your coffee this morning? Okay, how many of you never want me to talk about the weather again that were here last week? Okay. I didn't predict the weather. So today we're going to be in the book of Titus, and we are going to continue this series called Letters to Leaders, and sadly, this is our last week in the series. Go, oh. Because I love this series. This is, the pastoral epistles are some of my favorite books in the entire Bible. So if we follow Jesus, we're actually going to lead. And we're going to lead in different ways. And today, we're going to talk about leading with new life and confidence found in Jesus and not in us. And so as Paul describes this in Titus chapter 3, we have to realize that this really applies to every single person here. It's not just certain people that are in a position of leadership. And so, if you have our app, you can click at the top, and it'll send you to our version event, and you can follow along there as well, if you have a, a phone or an iPad. So today, we're going to talk about the confident life. Who doesn't want to be confident? Anyone? I mean, everyone wants to be confident, right? When we're in high school, we look, and we see the most confident person in high school, and we're like, I want to be that person, because they're popular. They're, they still have insecurities underneath things, but they're confident. So we want the confident life. And so I'm going to mention to you kind of the plot of a movie many of you have probably seen. Has anyone seen It's a Wonderful Life? Anyone seen It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah? You, who watches it for Christmas? Okay. So It's a Wonderful Life has been considered one of the top movies of all time by the American Film Institute. It's, it's a great movie. It stars James Stewart as George Bailey, a man that dreamed about traveling the world and he made sacrifices and ended up just living in his hometown and never leaving town. He's a broken man at the beginning of the movie. He's exhausted by dreams not happening and he, he's going to be declared bankrupt. He decides to go stand on a bridge. And if you remember, this is the only movie as a kid that I ever watched that I thought, wow, my parents are allowing me to see this because he's on a bridge and he's ready to commit suicide. He's going he's gonna to jump off the bridge. But then a guardian angel interferes. And that guardian angel shows him what his life would have been like if he had never lived. And what the people around him would have gone through. And he, that his life counted and his life made a difference. And I think sometimes we, we forget about that. We forget about the little things. 
the positive differences that we make in other people's lives. And so not just in the passage we're going to talk about today, but the entire book of Titus, Paul is showing us that we make a difference, an eternal difference, one that cannot always be understood or, or, or there's no way to tell you how far it's gone, this side of heaven. And so we're learning, we are living lives with eternal opportunities and we, we all kind of need a it's a wonderful life moment to wake us up to what God's doing. Because everyone's been in a valley. And so we're going to see in Titus here, in chapter 3, just verses 1 through 8, we're going to see what that valley looks like, and we're going to see what it looks like after that valley, when our confidence is in Jesus. So let me read the first three verses of Titus chapter 3, where it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves, remember this, we ourselves, this is like you have the log in your eye and you got the speck in the other person's eye. You yourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That sounds like a pretty sad past. But let's start at the beginning there. The first thing, it says, remind them. Who's them? Where is Titus? Does anyone know where Titus is? He's in Crete. And so this, this week, I was looking to see, what can we know about Crete? Well, there's the Cretans. And uh, Titus being there, we already know what the, the, the Cretans are like, or to be a Cretan. And so in Titus 1.12, Paul says this. He, he quotes one of the Cretan uh, apologists. That he calls him a prophet. Um, and he says, he says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. I remember as a kid, someone called someone else a Cretan, and I had no idea what it meant. Now I do, okay? You do not want to be a Cretan. That's a really bad thing. And so they, they were liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So he's saying them. He's saying those same people that he describes as that, be submissive to authorities and rulers. So don't we live in the same dishonest, harsh, and selfish culture? I mean, don't we? I mean, think about it. How we treat each other, the negativity that comes around. So can we survive? And this is the question I have. Can we survive without adopting the culture around us? Paul seems to think so. And I think so too. He's reminding us, don't be like the Cretans. But yet, we once were the Cretans, and we can't forget that. We need the good news of Jesus Christ just as much as the next person. So when we go to someone and we say something like, oh, they're just not listening, they're too far gone, we have to realize we were the person that needed saving too. So Paul is calling the same people to something more, and we are called to something more than that. And so... There's some, there's some pretty clear things, and today I, I had the dilemma. I have, I have a ton of points, but the first four are ones that I could have smushed together, so they're very short. This first one is leaders submit obediently. They submit obediently. It's not something, it's not a question. It says here to be submissive to rulers and authorities, and this was in a world not much different than our own, probably harsher than our own, because this world was filled with people that had a thirst for power and that were corrupted by greed. At any given moment, you make a ruler or authority mad, they can do two things. They can take all your possessions, or they could kill you. They could murder you. 
That's pretty severe, and yet he's saying, submit obediently. And then leaders serve eagerly. It says, be ready for every good work. When you're ready, and I don't think I need to talk about this too much, but when you're ready, that means you're willing to do something when you're called upon, when, when you see a need and you go do it. So if you want to be like this, then you take every chance you can to help others. It doesn't mean enabling. It means hard work most of the time. It means sacrifice rather than deciding to do something for yourself, realizing that you're sacrificing something despite the person feeling that they need it or not, but because you want to serve them. Leaders speak gently. It says, speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. Be, gent- be gentle. Speak evil of who? Come on, what's the answer? It says, no one. Avoid what? Quarreling. Be what? Gentle. It's so simple. It, yet it's so hard, right? The moment I said it's simple, did anyone go, no, it's not, pastor. No, it's not. If there was anything harder in a world filled with brash tones, with, with abrasive language, with, with the, the anger and frustration that, that gets eyeballs in front of a TV screen than it is right now. I can't think of a time in our history as a country that it's been harder to be gentle. You know, people use the phrase, speak your truth. That is a complete lie that you... That's just code for something. You want to know what it's code for? Complain. Be a jerk. The phrase like like that basically just says, if if you say that, speak your truth, that means there really is no absolute truth. The Bible's not true because I'm speaking my own truth. And so we forget about that. And so when we're speaking evil of no one, how can we do that if we're speaking our truth? Because many times we forget that God's truth is something that is greater than our truth. When we think we're true about something, it says speak evil. Or it says, it says don't speak evil. So we can speak evil because that's our truth. We can quarrel because my truth is different than your truth. It, you know, if it says, basically, if, if you speak your truth, you can be not gentle. Don't hold back. Why would you hold back if you're speaking your truth? That's just, it's just a lie. And yet, this leads to what holds leaders together. And if our, if, our, if our language and how we talk about others and how we speak of others leads to this, and that's leaders show humility. And I'm going to have you guys say something for me. So I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to say it back. You guys did it a little bit earlier, but it says show perfect courtesy towards all people. So what people are we supposed to show courtesy to? All people. It doesn't say some people. It doesn't say people that smell good. It doesn't say people that are like you. It doesn't say people that that have the same education as you. It doesn't say people that have money. It doesn't say people that don't have money. It it doesn't say any of that. So what people are we supposed to serve? There's There's no disclaimer. And so you have to remember the audience. Go back to the audience. The Cretans, the liars, the evil beasts, the lazy gluttons. Hey, he's asking them to serve everybody. If that's not the transformative work of God, I don't know what is. And we have to remember, we are not far removed from that. In the, in the big scope of eternity, what God has saved us from is not that far behind us. And it may still be with us. 
So if you're changed by Jesus Christ, that's going to change how you're obedient, how you serve others, your gentleness, your humility. But Paul reminds us of who we are without Jesus. You know, I read this point the first time, and I kind of like got a little bit of, like, I got a little sick, got a little something in my throat. Because I, did, I don't think I wanted to admit that this is where all leaders start. Because we're born into this world, and we really struggle. Leaders once rejected God. There was one time where every single one of you rejected God, and maybe you're still rejecting God. Before you say, I grew up in the church, I remember who saves us. It's not about going to church. We all at one time rejected God until we receive him, we're rejecting him. And we were fools. It says earlier, and in verse 3, it says we're foolish. Psalm 14.1 says, a fool says in his heart there is no God. A fool is not always just an atheist. It's someone who lives as if God doesn't exist. There was a book a while back that a pastor wrote, and I love the title. It was called The Christian Atheist, and some of you may have read it. What was interesting is how much it addressed the times where we don't go to God about things. We don't act as if he exists. We don't act as if he provides. We act as if we are the, the buck stops with us and it doesn't go any further than that. There's nothing God can do in our lives. And so we get to this idea that rejecting God affects two things in our lives. In verse 3, it affects our thinking. It affects our thinking. We're, we're foolish and deceived. It affects our behavior. We're disobedient. We're slaves to our own passions. So it's not just how we think. That's the harder one. You know, what's, you know what many times in the church we do is we really focus on the behavior. So we focus on the behavior to the detriment of our thinking. There is right thinking and there's wrong thinking. And I'm here to say it right now. There's right thinking, there's wrong thinking, there's unhealthy thinking, there's healthy thinking. But those are things that we don't get to see. You know, many of you might be sitting next to someone that is part of your family. And, you know, when you go home and you try to understand what they're saying to you, you may not understand what they're trying to say to you. It's not about the words. It's about, okay, what are they thinking as they're saying? What they, like, there's a whole different dynamic going on. And so we, we sometimes push aside the thinking part and we just focus on behavior. So if someone does something, that's the point. But what we don't realize is much earlier, their thinking was already poisoned by being deceived. And so we also, in this area, we, we are responsible for some of this in different ways. And we're also victims because of it. So we're responsible for our foolishness and our disobedience. When we're foolish, we're responsible for that. I don't care what anyone says. My dad used to do that, so now I do it. Well, you still did it. You still thought it. It's not, it's not anyone else's fault that you did that. And so we have to take re responsibility for our foolishness and our disobedience. But, and I think that maybe when we read this passage, we don't think that we could be victims in some way, but we are victims too because we've been, be, we've been deceived and we are slaves. There's not a slave on this planet that is not a victim. I've never, never heard someone say, well, that, they got themselves into slavery. No, they are a victim. And so we were slaves to our own passions. We're a victim. Leaders all rejected God at some point in their life, whether it was outright rejection, like atheism, or living as if God didn't exist. 
An author put it this way. At the end here, there's some other words that it used to describe the people. It says, malice is wishing bad things would happen to people. That's terrible. You know, that's, that's what we were before Jesus Christ. Envy is wishing good things would not happen to people. Both of those are really just, just hard. It's a recipe for disaster. Do you want disaster? Disaster leads to what? It leads to hatred. It says, literally says hated by others and hating one another. There's one word that I wasn't allowed to say when I was a kid. I mean, there's a lot of words, I guess. I should say that. There's a lot of other words. But one word that was pretty basic, and it was hate. Because this idea of hate is basically ignoring the first part of this passage. How can you serve others if you hate them? You can't. How can you be humble if you hate someone else? You can't. How can you be obedient to an authority if you hate them? You can't. But it starts here, and it starts here, and there's a change that happens. And I want you, I want you to think about this. This is a tongue twister, so if I say something wrong, don't make fun of me, but try to do this when you get home. Sin. I'm going to make a list of what sin does. Sin deceives, disobeys, dictates, detests, desires, and destroys. But hope is here for sin. Hope is there for those that have rejected God. Let's see where, where, where Paul goes. Where does Paul go right after this? He has this long list that we listen to and we go, oh, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a Cretan. You know, maybe you leave here and that's the one note you make. I don't want to be a Cretan. <laughs> like, I don't want that. But then let's look here. Verses 4 through 8. Verses 4 through 8 says, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, anytime there's a but in a passage, it's where the change happens. God steps in. So remember that. God's going to step in with what the, when the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good work. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But God steps in the picture. Romans 2.4 tells us, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Any of you parents? Any of you had grown kids? And you have family members that maybe your relationship is torn. Maybe you're a kid and your parents, your relationship is torn with them. Your kindness leads to repentance. Have you thought about that? Kindness is the goal. I, I think we get lost in, in what I talked about a little bit last week about our kingdom and our way. And we don't realize that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. We're so broken when he meets us, there's no other thing that he could give us except for his kindness.
So we can't forget that. Here's the second half of the story. Leaders are saved by God's mercy. They're saved by God's mercy. There's no other way. We once rejected God, now we're saved by God's mercy. The main verb in this whole passage is in verse 5. It says, he saved us. God saved us. Think about that. That is more than a lifetime worth of thinking. It could take you a whole lifetime to fully understand what God has done for you. Let's make a pros and cons list of God's reasons why he would save us. I thought about this this week. I was like, let's be logical. Anyone make pros and cons lists when you make a decision? I know I'm not the only one. Anyone? No, come on. Okay, no one's going to admit it. It's okay, we do. If we look at verse 3, there's not a lot of reasons to save us based on what we could do without Jesus. So this is God's list. Let's start with the cons. We are foolish, disobedient, uh, deceived, enslaved, malicious, envious, hated, and hating. Now the pros. Anyone hear the air conditioning? You hear crickets? Some people clear in their throat because the silence is too long, right? They're none. There's nothing. But when God comes in and says, I'll fill out the pros column, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to change that list. And here's what I'm going to put. I'm going to put my kindness. I'm going to put my love. And I'm going to put my mercy. And that is what changes everything. That is the difference. It has nothing to do with anything I or you or anybody can do. It's all about that. If we believe in our works, and we are having more faith in ourselves than the mercy of Jesus Christ. And you know what? I'm old enough to admit, I fail at things. I have days that are just really bad. I can't do it on my own. I, I just can't. That is a place we need to be. But you know where is a more dangerous place to be? Where we have more faith in ourselves than Jesus' mercy. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a really dangerous place to be. Leaders have new life and are renewed. They're, they have new life. The new life is why it's not dangerous anymore. It's new life. They're renewed. The Holy Spirit doesn't set small goals. <laughs> I think we set small goals. We set really small goals because guess what? Small goals are easy to meet because small goals don't require God to do anything. We can just stumble along. Just keep doing what we're doing. But yet, when we set bigger goals, the Holy Spirit wants to give you new life, give you renewal. It's internal. You can't fake it. No one can fake the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not your Instagram life. You can't, you can't fake what the Holy Spirit is doing when you have new life. This is who you are when no one's looking. This is what you're thinking about when no one's there. This is your heart, your core of who you are. And it says in verse 6 that this is poured out richly upon us. It's not something that is small. It's poured out so much that you're overflowing with what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. There's no limit to the power of the new life that God's given you. This life that can be given, there's no limit. And I think what's important about this, though, is for us to realize, again, there's no more full experience than we can ever have. 
It's more than we could ever need in our limitations. We have limitations. You know, I don't really like the term disability because I think that in some ways we all have a disability, and that is sin. And we struggle with that for our whole lives. So when we look at someone and we go, oh, that person's healthier, this, I look at it as it's, this is what's happened. They have new life. They're renewed. They have access to renewal and new life. In verse, so this verse 3 life that you, that you heard about is the old life, and, and the new life is nothing like it. If you've ever seen someone that goes from complete rejection of God to complete submission to God and obedience, there's a huge change. Leaders are justified by grace. They're just justified by grace. Grace means, or justified means being declared right, and and grace means undeserved favor. So undeserved favor would be like if we decided to parent and treat other people like this. Someone's wronged you, and you go to them, and you give them an ice cream sundae. Okay? That's kind of what God's done. It's like, well, we've sinned against him, and now there's all this evidence that says we're guilty in a court of law, but instead of being declared guilty, we're declared innocent and in the right. We deserve death, and now Jesus took that penalty for our sin on our behalf. We are, so we're heirs to the hope of eternal life. You know what? I don't know if I'll ever inherit anything, but if I inherit one thing, this is what it should be. I I don't know if like in this life, you know, I don't have rich relatives. I mean, I kind of wish I did, you know, then I could just build more stuff at the church, right? You know? This is something that you want to inherit. Justified, being declared right is, let me think about this for a second. It's present focused It's focused now. We've been justified now, but it's future thinking. It's thinking about the future, and it's forward-looking. And and we're justified before God now, but yet we don't have our inheritance yet. It's like someone coming to you with their will and saying, when I die, you'll inherit something. Well, what's happening is when you die, you inherit something. And we are children of the Most High God with an internal inheritance that is for all eternity. And I think we get lost on on little nitty-gritty details sometimes, but what's so important here is this passage is rich with the fact that we're not just saved by Jesus dying on the cross. It's the whole Trinity working for us. Every part of the Trinity is part of saving your soul. Verse 4, it's the Father. Verse 5, it's the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, it's Jesus. Which takes us to this last verse that starts with the phrase, the saying is trustworthy. I don't think we say that enough. I don't think anyone, I, I've never had someone say that to me. This saying is trustworthy. Sounds very confident, right? And this saying is trustworthy. And what is trustworthy, you ask? Verses 4 through 7 are trustworthy. Verse 8 tells us what we need to be focused on. Leaders live with confidence in Jesus. If, if you're going to be a leader, your confidence isn't in your own ability because we've all been given talents, and God can take those away. We've all been given opportunities, and we don't take them. But confidence in Jesus, we need to have confidence in a few things. We, we need to live with confidence knowing that there's nothing more that Jesus could give. There's nothing more 
that Jesus could have done. There's nothing more he could have promised because he's given us everything, eternity. The kindness of God shown in Jesus leads to repentance. And I think something that every single one of us at some point in our life are going to need to realize, we need to repent of being confident in our abilities. We need to repent of that. That, that we have it right and everyone else has got it wrong. We need to repent of being confident in our abilities. So our responses to God's kindness, well, right here, confidence. Being confident that our salvation is because of what God's done, not because we deserve special favor. I don't think that anyone can earn their way to heaven. I don't, I don't think it's true. There's no scripture. It, it's all about Jesus. Humility that we can't contribute anything to being saved. There's no jumping through hoops. I'm going to tell you a secret that no one's realized. Going to church is not how you get saved. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It takes time. You come to church because we gather together to be encouraged through God's word, through singing songs of praise to him. But in reality... We can't contribute anything to being saved. We're here because we love Jesus. We're focused on that. Praise. We need to be focused on praise. Because, because we thank the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for giving us salvation. You know, until we get to the point where we got, I got nothing without Jesus. My life during the week struggling we praise him for that and love I think this is the thing that we miss we love God because he was first kind to us because he saved us while we were still sinners while that, that cons list that I mentioned earlier was in place and is slowly being chipped away at because of his kindness, his mercy his love if we live with these four attitudes, we will be able to devote ourselves to good works. It will be profitable for all of us if our confidence is in Jesus and what he has done. When our confidence is in ourselves, we revert to this list of cons and it's not pretty. When our confidence rests in Jesus, we have new life. We're renewed. We're born again. And we are changed from a dying corpse to a living, breathing picture of God's power in the world. We can make a difference. Remember at the beginning I mentioned It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey? He's standing there on the bridge. This guardian angel intervenes and allows him to see what life was like without him. What God had done in his life over that period of time. You know what? I, I firmly believe that he, he was just almost woken up to what his difference was. In the next generation, or the next generation, or the next generation, you can make a difference that changes and transforms the world. I don't think the apostles sat around a table with Jesus and thought 2,000 years later there'd be people standing here, sitting here, coming together to hear the same letters that they would soon receive. But people started making a difference because the Holy Spirit was moving through them. So, so what? what? What's the big deal? I got 50 points today. What, Pastor, you're crazy. What is such a big deal? It's because leaders submit obediently, serve eagerly, speak gently, and show humility. And I bet you, if each one of us focused on those four things, 
we would see a dramatic change both in our church but in our community. We have to remember though, when we're in this struggle, we once rejected God. Leaders once rejected God, but now we're saved by God's mercy. We once, you know what? I think the most like humbling thing is when someone comes to another person and said, you know, I was like you. I know what it's like. And you know what? I found something that, that's changed my life and that's different now. Leaders have new life, being renewed and justified by grace. We don't deserve it. If you're a leader, you don't deserve it. You just don't. And I think this last one is so important. That's, that's why I left it by itself. Leaders live with confidence in Jesus. Our confidence has to be in him and not in us. Because if you're confident in yourself as you walk through every day, you're going to lose sight of the fact that he's the one that changed you. You know, people use the term backslide, and I think there is something to it because essentially what you're doing is you're going back to trusting yourself rather than trusting in Jesus. You're trusting other things. You're trusting people and places and situations to provide you joy when Jesus already has provided you joy that can't be taken away for all eternity. So this Sunday, as we close this series, I've been thinking about this a lot. Some of you may have the whole time been like, I'm not a leader. Realize that we all are leaders if we're following Jesus. We all once were struggling and now we found new life and we've been renewed and we see others and we want them to come to faith, but we have to realize that when our confidence is in Jesus, it's not in our abilities to speak clearly to someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just literally that we pursue him obediently and confidently. It has nothing to do with our abilities because we all have varying degrees of different abilities. But God's brought us all together as the church to lead, to pursue, to be humble. So this morning as we close, I love the song that we're going to sing because it talks about who God says we are. It's not about who we say we are. Remember in this passage, verse 3 is who we say we are and who we, who we are before Jesus. But God changes that. So remember who you are in Jesus Christ as we sing the song to close. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask this week, give us confidence that is only from you, not from us. Help us to be able to focus entirely on being leaders of influence. Let's start small, just one other person. Come alongside them and encourage them. Build them up. Lord, we just ask that you allow us to remember the day we were a Cretan, the day we were so focused on ourselves and struggling, and now where we are. And if someone doesn't know you that's here, Lord, that has not pursued you with their life, we just pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would move directly in their life and they would come to know you and love you as their Lord and Savior. 
Because I don't, I, I don't think any of us wouldn't want our friends, even our enemies coming to know you and having their lives transformed. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.